Okay, so David's kingdom of all 12 tribes of Israel was solidified in 2 Samuel chapter 5. He really spent about 10 years in training out in the wilderness, him and the Lord just really uh, doing business with God, wrestling with God. We were in Romans chapter 15 on Sunday morning where David says he begged the Romans to strive with the strive with the Lord with him in prayer. And that word for strive is, is wrestling in the Greek. It can be wrestling or even fighting. And, and um, for 10 years, just exceedingly hard training time. But we saw at the end of First Samuel, the kingdom transitioning over to David. And at first, for the first seven years, it was just really the tribe of Judah, which is just in the south of what we know today as Israel. Uh, but uh, last week, we saw the remaining 11 tribes uh, come. And so now he's the king of all of Israel, something that he uh, had been promised by the Lord something like 15 years earlier. And so, you know, sometimes we hear things from the Lord or something he's going to do in our life, and there's a long waiting period, and we get confused. We think it's now, and we get discouraged. But uh, listen, Micah 7, verse 7, I've been saying it to myself over and over, says this, I look to the Lord. I wait on the God of my salvation. And so uh, here he is. God's salvation really has come to fruition in many ways uh, at the chapter five, he has been established not only within Israel, but he defeated the Philistines twice. Remember, throughout the time of Saul, the Philistines made incursions into Israel, even occupied different areas of Israel. Uh, and so although Saul was king, in some senses, he wasn't king. And, and, but now David's king. Uh, he had the title of king, and he was king. He was uh, the uh, what you would call the king as a matter of law and king as a matter of fact. He was the king. And so uh, just um, a momentous uh, time. And remember, he's the first king in the line of the Messiah, uh, which uh, would eventually descend to Jesus Christ. And then we see so, so, so important right here in the first couple verses of 2 Samuel chapter 6. It says, read along with me. And again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. And so, man, don't miss this. Steve, don't miss this. Notice what the very first priority for David was when he became king of all Israel. Was it 
building roads? Was it building uh, fortresses? Was it uh, building weapons and secu securing the borders? Uh, was it picking a cabinet, a new, a new set of ministers? Was it uh, uh, making sure the food supplies were running well? All very, very, very important things, but not the most important thing. The most important thing David does at the very outset of his reign is bringing the ark of God to a place where he was to, to, to be the center piece of worship for the nation of Israel. And what does it say? He invited 30,000 nobles. He wanted everyone to know. And Calvary Chapel, consider this. For the previous decades during the reign of Saul, the Ark of the Covenant, which the Bible says the very presence of the Lord dwelled in it at the time. It now dwells inside of us who are born again at the time as God is reintroducing himself uh, to the world through, uh, through Moses and the descendants of Israel after Moses. Uh, it, God chose to have it, have his presence in between the cherubim, over the mercy seat, which was over the Ark of the Covenant. Inside of the Ark of the Covenant was the, uh, the Ten Commandments. Uh, there was also manna and also uh, Aaron's, um, Aaron's staff, which had a blossom. But um, by this time, apparently, Aaron's staff and manna were gone. It was just the, Ark of, uh, just the tablets at this time. But uh, first priority. Let's get the presence of God at the center of national life. During Saul, it had been where? In someone's house. It had just, Saul didn't care. He cared about what? He cared about securing the borders. He cared about the, the economy. He cared uh, uh, about positions for his family around the, around the country. Uh, he cared uh, about the, the food supplies and Things like this, all very important things. But, well, you know, the God thing, that can come after we get everything figured out. No, 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 no. It, 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 it was in someone's house. It just stayed in someone's house while Saul was running around the country trying to mobilize power, the kingdom, serving the purpose of his pleasure rather than the pleasure of God. The church and our lives, we exist for one thing, for the pleasure of God. And David is showing this, and he's not doing it in a corner, meaning he's not doing this in hiding. He's showing everybody that the most important thing for the nation of Israel is to have God in the center of life, the center of, uh, of, of daily life of the kingdom of Israel. And so it says, he arose and went with all the people, not in secret, not at, not at night. Uh, Nicodemus went to the Lord at, at night. It was better than nothing at all, but, but this was not like that. It was in the, in the presence of all the people. Uh, and to get the ark of God, verse 2, whose name is called by the name. 
the Lord of hosts. That means the Lord of armies, the Lord of armies to, uh, uh, of heaven. That's a wonderful name of God, a sermon in of itself. That's the God who protects you. That's the God who backs up your life and goes before you. He's the Lord of hosts, meaning the Lord of the armies of God, speaking, by the way, of the angelic host. And so families out there, so important. Uh, it, we are praying about uh, doing soon uh, a parenting, a, a series on Tuesday night of parenting. How it breaks my heart when uh, the number one priority, the number one priority of a cr Christian parents, or parents who, 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 man, they identify with Christ, they show up at church every week and, and, and maybe two or three times a week, but the number one priority is educating their children getting a good education because with a good education, you can get into college and, you know, you can get a career someday where the most important thing for their children is the children's safety or the most important thing uh, for their children is, is being on that soccer team, that basketball team, that football team. Or the most important thing for their children is to have all those things that they never had when they grew up. Man, a lot of those things are really important. Are really, really important. Uh, you know, one of Pastor Scott's favorite expressions to people when he used to counsel guys um, who wanted to get married and, and they didn't have, they, they, they weren't even holding a job. He said, listen, the most spiritual thing I can tell you to do right now is, 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 do something so you can, you, you want to get married to that lady? Do something so you can provide for her. That's the most spiritual thing for you. But Pastor Scott, as well as every elder who's ever been an elder at Calvary Chapel, the priority, moms, dads, is putting the word of God in prayer, Jesus Christ, at the center of your of your family's life and of your the center of your family's home. And, and the way you uh, comport with others outside the home, you're being a reflection of the image of Christ. Man, you, you do that first, and all those things will follow suit. Of course, your kids need an education. Of course, they need to be saved. Of course, it's great for them to experience things that you maybe you have never experienced or, or maybe experience things that you did experience. That you, man, those things are great and important. But nothing is important as bringing the Ark of the Covenant, if you will, and sticking it right in the center of your living room. And so uh, anyway, uh, that's, what, that's what David does here uh, um, at the beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 6. By the way, that, that was just a figure of speech. You don't put the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of your uh, living room. You can have your devotion, family devotion times there. Verse 3 says... So they set the ark of God on a new cart. Now, those of you who have been with us throughout Exodus, um, Leviticus, Numbers, I hope that just, I hope you just went, oh, no, whoa, no. Why are you doing that? Yeah, they put it on a cart. More on that a little later. They put the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Uzzah and 
Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart, and they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. That's Ahio, A-H-I-O, and not O-H-I-O. Verse 5. A lovely wife, Stephanie, can you put the air conditioning up a little? It's kind of um, warm in here. That would be great. Thank you. Then David and, um, and it said, verse 5, Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of fir, wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on cisterns, and on cymbals. So they were having uh, an incredible uh, worship experience here. I mean, they, they had all the best uh, instruments um, out there, musicians, singers, the whole thing. Um, this, was a, this was quite a deal that was going on there. And so what they were doing is they were basically having a worship service, a worship procession from the place where the, the house that the Ark of God had been relegated to, the house of Abinadab, whose house, by the way, was blessed. More on that whole thing later. And uh, they're having a worship service, sort of a moving worship service, a procession. You could call it a parade, but no. Well, yeah, you could call this one a parade. From this all the way um, to where uh, David was, and he had installed where he was um, a house of, I mean, a place for the tabernacle to dwell. And so... uh, it says there in verse 6 that when they came to Nashon's threshing floor, Uzzah put his hand out to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled. It says then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah and God struck him there for his error and he died there by the ark of of the Lord. Verse 8, and David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. Verse 9, David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? Okay, so what's going on here? Now, uh, most of us, when we first read this account, it was uh, almost traumatic. Uh, you know, this is not my Jesus type of thing. That's an expression out there that uh, is a little troubling, but we've all had that happen in our, um, in our own heart when, we are, when we're uh, studying the Bible. You know, how could my Jesus do something like this? Uh, this guy, poor guy, Uzzah, he was just trying um, to, uh, there's also an account of it, I believe, in, in First Chronicles, that he was just trying to, to, to make the ark not fall. And when he touches his hand to it, it says, the, it says the angel, the anger, not the angel, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah. 
and it struck him there for his error, and he died before the ark of God. So what are we supposed to make of this? Now, mind you that this is happening at the very beginning of David's reign. That's really important that we understand that. So while David's first priority, it's extremely admirable. It's not only admirable, it's indispensable. He has to, for any king, uh, put God first and, and come out of the gate with it's being all about the Lord. It's got to do that. However, the Lord also wants to establish this kingdom in righteousness. This would be the, the kingdom, David's kingdom, that all other kingdoms after him, meaning other, all other kings after him, by which they would be judged. So all other kings would be reading about the account of David's first worship service. And um, there was a big problem. There was a big problem. And, and that is that in Exodus 25, 14, when God was giving instructions for the children of Israel to build the ark, he gave very specific instructions that the ark was always to be carried on the shoulders of the priests. There were four rings, a ring in each of the corners of the ark. Through those uh, rings, two poles, the poles were to go on the shoulders and the ark was to be carried from place to place. It was to be carried. Now, um, you may say, well, come on. I mean, what's the big deal? Uh, well, here's the big deal. And, and I, I brought this out really throughout um, our study of the Old Testament. And that is, that was a type. That was a type where the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Lord, is being carried on the shoulders of the priests. That was a type of the reality to come, which is what? The Holy Spirit in you. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Verse uh, 19, it says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You're carrying the Holy Spirit. It was always God's plan from the beginning of instituting the law of Moses that someday he would send his son into the world to live, die, and rise again, be ascended into heaven for us, and then come out on the Pentecost and indwell us, in, in, indwell us, come inside of us. Actually, um, the, the, the apostles actually were indwelt by the Holy Spirit even prior to that. Jesus breathed um, on them the Holy Spirit at the end of the book of John. But the, but the point being is that a type, another example of a type you never mess with is husband and wife. Jesus says, once a husband and wife is, comes together in one flesh, don't break them apart. Why? Because they are a type. A type of what? A type of, of Christ in the church. Throughout the Bible, um, Israel is the bride, or we're the bride, and God 
is the groom or Jesus Christ is the groom. Just this morning in my own devotion time, I was in Psalm, I think, I mean, uh, Matthew, I think it's tw yeah, 25, the parable of the 10 uh, virgins. Jesus is the bridegroom. We're the, the bride. And, and, and so that's why div divorce is such a serious thing uh, because uh, it's messing with the type. That's why you never want to get divorced unless there's a biblical justification for it. So it's not that there's not grace um, for those who get unbiblical divorces, but there's, but, but it's a serious, serious thing to get divorced because it's a, a for an unbiblical reason because it's a violation of a type. Another one was uh, Moses striking the rock uh, in the wilderness when he got angry at the children of Israel. The Bible says that rock, it's a type of what? Actually, the, the question is, is the type of who? It was the type of Christ. It was Jesus Christ, the rock. And when he struck it in anger, it's like he's striking Jesus. Oh, no, Moses. You want to do a lot of things. You don't want to strike Jesus with a rock. And that's why Moses never went into the promised land. And so that makes it a little bit clearer to us of why this was a big deal to the Lord. When Uzzah was carrying the Ark of the Covenant on an ox cart. Now, where had the Israelites learned such a crazy thing? And um, the answer to that question, of course, is from who? The Philistines. Remember earlier on in 1 Samuel, the Philistines in a battle against Israel, in the time of Israel's rebellion, uh, Israel was wiped out in the battle against the Philistines. The Philistines took the Ark, and then when they couldn't deal with the Ark anymore because of the judgments of God against their country as a result of having the Ark, they were getting boils and all kinds of other things, they shipped it back on what? A cart, an ox cart. And so Israel um, then, well, I guess the Philistines did it. That's the last thing we saw. Uh, let's just stick it on a cart. Remember what we, a couple of Sundays ago, what did we say uh, in, in our study of the, of, the, um, of the book of Romans chapter 15? We were on that verse which talks about the Romans being filled with the knowledge of God. Remember that verse from Hosea that we quoted. My people are being destroyed for lack of knowledge. Our hearts go out to Uzzah, right? Because, but for the grace of God, go we, right? But the fact of the matter is he had not, he was a Levite. He was a Levite. In other words, he was a worker. He was entitled to do what he was doing. He was, the, he was in that tribal Levi who was, uh, who was uh, they were charged with helping the priests out and the priest duty, the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle, the temple. But he, he was literally destroyed for lack of knowledge. He hadn't read the word of God. We'll see in a little later that David goes back and finds out from the word of God, wait a second, the Ark of the Covenant is supposed to be carried on the, on the shoulders of priests. It's, it's supposed to be carried by human beings, just like we carry the Holy Spirit today, which is an amazing privilege, as it was to be a priest carrying around the Ark of the Covenant. And so... Uh, uh, and, and so he he dies here. And, uh, you know, what I think it's important to see here is the grace of God. Because God, if he wanted to, could have done what? There's 30,000 people there. He could have wiped out everybody. But again, he's establishing 
kingdom righteousness. This would be the kingdom that was established that would eventually the, the Jesus Christ would, is going to reign as a descendant of this king, King David. And so really important to God. So, you know, listen, um, so many learnings on this for us, including the fact that we can be, well, let me just back up a little. When there are new worship leaders, we always, we sit down with the worship leaders. And I, I so appreciate Pastor Greg in, in Argentina. Greg, if you're watching Argentina, hello, but just um, the emphasis at the Sunday morning worship service that the priority is for God to enjoy the time. It's not about performing, it's about worshiping. And so when we have a new worship leader and, and, and the worship leaders in turn instruct the people on the worship team Let's not, there's too much performing in the body of Christ. There's, you, you know, it, it, it's true that in the body of Christ, in the church, there can be thousands of people, just like there was, there, there was 30,000 here, there can be 30,000 people at a megachurch somewhere with the best musicians in the country, the best drummers, the best guitarists, the best pianists, the best saxophone players, the best violinists, the best tu whatever, tuba players, whatever, bass players. But if they're performing, everyone in that church, 30,000 people, can be enjoying themselves and just, they can just be, they have chills all over themselves and raising their hands and just a, a, a head rush, a, just an incredibly enjoyable time. But God can be right there, the one person in the room. 30,000 and one people, the one person is God who's also there. He's not enjoying it. Why? Because there's performance going on on the stage. And we don't want that at Calvary Chapel in the city with our worshipers. And so... Um, We've had incredible, being close to Berkeley School of Music, we've had incredible uh, musicians um, over the years, but one of the things we talked to them about, look, this isn't about performing. It's about worshiping. The best, the best worship leader is the one that is worshiping himself or herself, and people are just following his or her. Lead. That's a hard thing to somehow forget that there's a bunch of people watching, uh, and, and but that's kind of what you got to do um, when you're when you're leading worship. And so here, thirty thousand people enjoying this, excuse me, moving um, worship service. One person was not, but it was the one person that matters the most. One prayer request I have uh, um, for each Sunday. I, I, I'm usually praying it on a Friday or Saturday, sometimes Sunday morning. Lord, please, when I come into that room on Sunday morning, I please go in with the awareness that you are showing up to enjoy it. And that the service is about you. That it's about blessing you. It's about you, Lord. And so uh, here the uh, Israelites, they learn the hard way that... Um, they they earn uh, they they learn the hard way that God wasn't enjoying 
the, their worship service. Psalm 138, uh, verse 2, a psalm that I uh, quote from time to time because it's a very important, uh, important to explain a lot of the things that we see from time to time. Psalm, did I say 138? Psalm 138, verse 2 says this. It, uh, David says to the Lord, you've magnified your word above all your name. Now, could it be that he, when David wrote this, he was thinking about this incident in 2 Samuel chapter 6. What does he mean by that? You've magnified your word above all your name. Well, some people may, may think, wow, you know, God had 30,000 people there, his reputation's at stake, and he calls this, drives this whole thing to a halt. Who's going to be interested in the Lord anymore after, after this gigantic blunder, after, after this worship party, uh, a, a, a huge wet blanket is thrown over it. Who's going to want to follow God anymore? Well, God is less concerned about his reputation than his word. That's heavy. Calvary Chapel, that's heavy, heavy. You have magnified your word above all your name. Wow. And so, you ever hear that expression, the ends just justify the means? That's carnal. That's worldly. With the worship of God and the following of Jesus Christ, the end and the means is important. For example, you know, yeah, Jesus' name is to be exalted, but you don't go out and do Christian graffiti and draw Jesus' name on the side of a wall somewhere and violate the law. Well, what do you mean? It, G, people see Jesus' name and maybe they'll come to Christ by just looking at... No, 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 no. The end does not justify the means. That's carnal. A, you know, the, the author of a famous book, the Prince Niccolo Machiavelli, it, uh, who lived, I don't know, in the 1200s or something, came up with really that, that whole philosophy that the ends justify the means. It's demonic. It's wrong. And here we, we God, God has certain ends, goals for our life, but our walk to the goal is as important as the goal itself. And so um, here you have it. Uh, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, this worship service grinds to a halt. And it says in verse 8, David became angry because of the Lord. Ever been angry at God? I hope if you're, you get angry with God, we've all been angry at circumstances that God has brought in our life. Just always remember, as it says in the book of Exodus, when we are complaining and angry at our circumstances, we're not angry at we're actually not angry at the circumstances. Uh, the Lord said to, to Moses, he says, at that time, we're angry with God himself. We may not be talking about it with God, but God who knows our circumstances, he's in full control and he doesn't want us angry at our circumstances. He doesn't want us angry at people um, who are causing us problems. He doesn't want us angry directly at him. Why are you doing this, God? I'm angry at you. Just by all means, like David did, go into your prayer closet Get your anger out of you between you and the Lord, but you, 
you better be careful that um, uh, that you're not in it too long. You need to repent because it's the, the issue always is, okay, God's brought about these circumstances. It may not be any fault of ours. It may be, but Lord, why are you doing this? It's for a good purpose. And remember um, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. God is abounding in goodness. It's, it's got to be something good, Lord. What, what are you doing? Or was it something I did? If so, let me know. So he's angry at the Lord. But then it says, interestingly, in the next verse, it says the anger turned to what? Fear. David was a, a, afraid of the Lord that day. He says, how can the Lord, ark of the Lord, come to me? Verse 10, let's read it together. So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And so uh, anger is not a place to stay. Neither is being uh, afraid of God. I'm not talking about a healthy fear of God. I'm, I'm talking about the uh, kind of afraid here where, okay, let's put God over there. Let's put him in the, this house. You put him in a house and you're, you don't want to have to deal with it. You, because you're, you're afraid, you don't want to get too involved with God because of the fear of what um, the results, the consequences of following the Lord may be. You're, you're scared of God. Like a, you know, there's a healthy fear of God, but then there's a fear of God where kind of the fear of a child of an abusive father or mother, that's not healthy fear. So he's not in a healthy place at this point. What happens next? It says in verse 11, the ark, the ark of, the, uh, the, of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now it was told King David, saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David, with gladness. And so uh, what happened to the house of Obed-Edom? Same thing that had happened in the house of Abinadab uh, before him. The house was tremendously blessed. And I just think of the parable of the talents where, you know, the, the guy who gets 10 talents goes out and, and multiplies the 10 talents. The guy with five talents multiplies the five, but the guy with one hides it. And when the when the master shows up, um, he, why did you hide it? He said, well, I knew you were a harsh man and you tried to reap where you have not sown. You're, you're harsh. And, and what did the Lord say? He said, you wicked servant. You thought I was that way. That's what you thought. See, God's a good God. David thought he was... Um, a God who wanted to, who was just a party spoiler. So he relegated him for a, a while to the house of Obed-Edom. But that's not who God is. God's always good. And so when something happens in our life, some crisis, something that's very difficult, we need to always remember the goodness of God. Always remember Exodus 34, 6 and 7. He's abounding in goodness. Okay, what's up? And... Um, and uh, the presence of God is always a delightful place. Psalm 16. At your right hands are 
pleasures forevermore. At your right hand, are, uh, there is joy, David says in Psalm 16. And so when you're in a place of unhealthy fear about God, you, you, you have, you're scared of God. Know this. There's going to be others. There's going to be Obed-Edoms in your community. They're going to be enjoying the presence of the Lord. They're going to love it. They're going to be happy just like this Obed-Edom while you're there sitting in your misery because you're so scared about following hard after God. Don't stay in that place. He's a good God. God is abounding in goodness. And so there's a worship team uh, saying that last Sunday, that responsive uh, with Sister Tommy leading, that responsive reading from the book of Psalms that the, the, about the mercy of the Lord, the mercy of the Lord is good, he's good, he's good. And seek out his goodness, seek out that joy. Uh, what did the Lord say to the, uh, the, the two people, the one that he gave 10 talents to and the one he gave five talents to at the end? He, they multiply and says, enter into the joy of the Lord. There's joy in the presence of the Lord. And so David says, oh, wait a second. I want this joy. I'm going to get it. And then it says that he brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. Now, verse 13, wonder of wonders, someone had been seeking the Lord as the, to the proper way of carrying the, of, the, uh, of the ark. Verse 13, and so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces um, that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. And so um, there he, uh, he realizes that people were supposed to be, the priests were supposed to be carrying it. Now in First Chronicles, we find out more about um, that, that David had realized, okay, I really goofed here. Um, we were wrong in the way that we brought up the Ark of the Lord. But uh, verse 13 here, uh, it's evident that he had done his homework. So the priests, it says, important word, are bearing the ark of the Lord, just like you, brother, are bearing the Holy Spirit in your life. You're carrying the Holy Spirit, just like you, sister. You're bearing, you're carrying the Holy Spirit. What a privilege that is. And so it was. it's an extreme thing here, but this is why I, I love reading the Old Testament. We, we understand the importance of these things. Uh, to the Lord. Okay, verse 14. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod, meaning meaning he was not wearing his royal robes. He didn't want to stand out you know, when I'm, uh, when, when, when I was just, I was just uh, shopping here recently online for a shirt because um, um, I'm about, I was going to blame my wife. She likes to me to throw shirts out, out, but she's doing a good, a good job as a, as a wife getting me to sh throw old shirts out. I'm trying to buy a couple of new shirts that I can wear for church. And man, some of them were like really, really loud. And I'm 
like, I can't get up dressed like a, a king in front of the church. <laughs> you know, I need something a little bit more modest. I like colors. I love colors. That's why I love being in, one of the reasons I love going to Haiti, the, 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 the dress is so colorful there. I love that. But um, he, he, he doesn't take on the, 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 the royal robes, the, uh, the princely robes. And he just has a linen ephod on. It's just sort of one of these simple things uh, uh, that he is dancing with. And it says, so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, remember, she is also David's first wife, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Oh, wow. What a tragedy. What a tragedy it is within a marriage when a wife begins to despise her husband for following hard after the Lord. You know, from time to time, I, 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 I speak with a pastor or, or I hear, I remember speaking with a pastor at, at a men's retreat in New Jersey and he was a pastor of the church and while he was assistant pastor, his, he did. He woke up one day. His wife wasn't there. She she uh, she let left him a note that says, "Man, I'm not into this Jesus thing anymore. I'm out of here." Wow! What a terrible thing to despise your husband for following hard after the Lord. Wives, if there's anything in you that's going to a place like that, that's despising your husband for putting the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of the Lord, the, the God, Jesus Christ, at the center of life of your heart, of your house, rather. If, you, if, you, if there's even a bit of part of you, man, you better get into a prayer closet quick and start crying out to God. Do you know that there are multitudes of wives out there longing to have a husband like yours who is making Jesus Christ the first priority in the home. If you only knew the stories that I hear as pastor over the uh, many years of ministry of women who long for that, married women in their, hus in their house with husbands, Please, if you're going to this place that Michael here goes, that she, you know, what's he doing before all the people? Why actually, um, let's, read, let's read about it. I know I was kind of in the middle of a thought there, but let's, let's read about more about what, she's, what happens here with Michael. Verse 17, they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in the place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Remember, burnt offerings and peace offerings are what? 
their voluntary sacrifices, their free will offerings. Those are the only individual offerings listed in the book of Leviticus that are sweet savor to God. And, and, and so this is all just the Lord is just being blessed here. The Lord is enjoying this. There's a sweet savor, verse 18. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his own house. Isn't that wonderful? Just the overflow of a heart that worships God. What happens? Giving, 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 giving. God says he loves a cheerful giver. Um, I love how it, during the to date that I've been reported to me during this, this time of the coronavirus, um, our offerings have been uh, maintained. People have been giving in this time of, uh, of, uh, of trial. Why? Because it's, uh, it's an overflow of the abundance that God is doing in their heart. And that's what the Lord loves, a cheerful giver. Uh, as my pastor Robert Fountain once said, look, if, if you only give out a duty, uh, don't change your giving um, uh, habits. Uh, change your heart habits. And go to the Lord and say, God, change my heart. Uh, and then your giving habits actually will change uh, because you're giving even more. But, but an expression of love uh, to the Lord. He starts giving, it says, to all the people. He just blessed all the people with, um, with food there. A piece of meat, a loaf of bread, a cake of raisins, meaning uh, a tiramisu, whatever that was. It was dessert. Verse 20, then David returned to bless his household. Because he, he wanted to share the day. Um, you know, the, the, the greatest things we experience in life, we want to share with someone, right? Whether a friend or a family member. It says, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of Israel, over, over the Lord. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord, and I will be even more undignified than this and will be humbled in my sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken by them, I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. A couple of really important things here as we're closing out. Um, the first thing is, Man, when you've been to the mountaintop with the Lord, incredible blessing yeah, uh, with the Lord. Uh, when you come off that mountaintop, there's going to be battles. Satan's going to meet, is going to be meeting you there. What happened at, when uh, James and, and John went up? No, is it, it James, John, and Peter who went up to the Mount of Transfiguration and had that glorious uh, experience with the Lord? And I just, can it only... Um, uh, imagine how exhilarating it was and for Jesus Christ he has Moses on one side Elijah on the other he's transfigured he, he like gets a piece of heaven before returning to heaven what happens they go down the uh, to the uh, 
down the mountainside and what was going on. There was a fight going on. And, and um, how, how discouraging must that have been to the Lord? Doesn't like seeing his people fight or getting in divisions. And um, David, how discouraging. And he had this wonderful worship experience. And, and he, he's, he, he, you get this picture, he's going to burst through the doors and, and just bless his whole household and share with him the great day he had. And he's met with a woman and, and said, you, you, you've just made a complete fool out of yourself. You've behaved like one of the base fellows, like one of the crude fellows, like one of the, you know, uh, jerks out on the street that get drunk or whatever and, and, and take their clothes off or, 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 or whatever. So how discouraging. And, 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 and I'm just encouraging you, Calvary Chapel, this is, this is what, I tell you, this is what ministry's like. Some of the greatest victories in ministry. Um, Satan's just going to try to spoil the party. Don't let him do that. Don't be surprised. Just don't be surprised when you come off a mountaintop that you're 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 greeted by a um, you know by a, by a serious spiritual battle. Um, so he's met here with a spirit serious spiritual battle. Uh, it says, you know, Michael was disgusted with him. He says, "What are you showing off or something?" But what? between all the maidens, David said, no, I was doing that for the Lord. So remember where she had learned her religion from her very religious father, Saul. Saul was a very religious guy. He got rid of all the witches in his kingdom, but inside in his heart, his heart didn't value the presence of the Lord. And, um, uh, and uh, it was more about religion. And, and, and again, parents, listen, uh, there, there's many. My wife grew up um, in, in a culture uh, in the South where, uh, and I'm not, I'm not really talking about her church because her pastor, her whole life was a tremendous man of God who I, I owe my very life to that man. It's, uh, Pastor Tommy Watson, but in a culture, however, where dressing up to church, dressing to a tea, you know, making sure the makeup's perfect, the jewelry's perfect, the uh, the hair's perfect, the dress is um, the, a, a real expensive designer thing, and showing up to church, and uh, that whole culture um, it, it, uh, that is. Throughout the South, now there are many wonderful, wonderful churches in the South. Actually, when you go to the South, it's not hard to, because I was there for 12 years, it's not hard to find someone. It's very easy, actually, to find someone who loves the Lord in the South. Very easy. Um, and that's the wonderful thing about down there. But um, there's also a culture there. And, um, and uh, parents, just be very careful that, you're, that you're, you're not exalting tradition over the heart of God, which is worship. Just loving him. It's that sweetness. And uh, so important. But uh, she learned that. She learned that from her, um, from her father. That's what she grew up in. Uh, and uh, she's, um, there's going to be consequences. No children by David uh, for the rest of, uh, of her life. Uh, 
You know, one of the greatest things about this whole scene here is once again, the understanding and, and Calvary Chapel, I just cannot overemphasize this enough, is David's understanding of grace. Remember when er, earlier on where uh, in the book of 1 Samuel where David was um, running away from Saul and he goes to a city of priests and the, the high priest comes out to him says, what are you doing here? And what does he do? He lies. He's untruthful. He lies to the priest. He says, oh, I'm here on Saul's business. So the priest gives him bread. And as a result of that, the whole, that priest and the whole city of priests and their wives and their kids were murdered. And David realizes that it was his sin that led to that murder. Yet he was immediately, he, he repented, he confessed it, and he went right out and he still did great things for the Lord. And this, the same thing happens here. He calls, he's, a, he's humiliated in the worst kind of way. I mean, he invites 30,000 people from all over um, Israel, and it's the most important people. It says in verse 2, uh, verse 1 rather, the choice men of Israel, the noble men. And his big party is completely ruined. And it's really ultimately because he's at the top of the pyramid, it's his fault. He didn't consult he didn't make sure that it, it was wrong. And, and so he's angry and he's afraid because he, he messed up really, really, really bad. And what he could have done is, you know, I'm done being used by the Lord. I'm done. I'm just going to go about emphasizing the security, building an army, providing for the food for the people, whatever. But I'm done trying to bring the presence of the God into the center of the life of Israel. He could have done that. Some of you who are listening right now, perhaps that's the place that you're, you're in. You just really, really have messed up bad. Live by the example of David. I can tell you, you're, you're messing up a ba uh, uh, really bad. Didn't, didn't rival David when he, was responsible for the murder of all those people in the city of Nob, those priests, their wives, their kids. Or this one, where angry, the Lord was so angry, he put, uh, he put to stop a party of 30,000 people. David's still able to go right back. And it says, importantly, uh, it says in uh, verse 12, not only did he go right back, it says in verse 12, at the beginning, uh, middle of the verse, he got the ark of, uh, of God, brought it to the city of David with gladness. He did it with gladness. Not moping while trying, starting again, serving the Lord. Oh, you know, I messed up so bad last time. I, I'm telling you, that I'm not even exaggerating. When I go, I literally talk to Christians like that. There's no joy in their life. And um, listen, the fact of the matter is, the Bible says, 1 John 1, 9, if if we have sinned, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. If, rather, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness.